Church, you may be seated. Everyone doing well this morning? Um, I've found the place to stand on a really cold morning. It's, it's not the first interior, it's the second interior, if that makes sense. And it's watching your faces as you come in. Like, it's a cold one, but I'm glad you're here this morning. I want to spoil the, uh, the joke that Nick was going to do with the vest. This morning he realized that I was wearing a black vest and that Keaton was wearing a black vest, and that Pastor Grant was wearing a black vest. And he was going to make fun of us, church. He was going to make fun of us, but I assure you that vest days are the best days. Anybody? Anybody know what I'm talking about, guys? All right. Fashionable yet warm. I love it. I hope you're uh, excited about today's message. Last week, church, we answered the question, are we we really once-saved? always saved. And and even that thought, can I lose my salvation? And if you weren't here for that, I pray that you listen to that message online where we answered that question. And without a doubt, the scriptures teach that what God saves, he holds on to for all eternity. And God's people said, Amen. amen. What God saves, he holds. So I'll beg the question, have you trusted in Jesus? Have you placed your faith in him? Do you know him? Jesus even says this, not all who say, Lord, Lord, know me. Do you really know Jesus as your Savior? This morning, we're going to answer another question in our series. It's one that perhaps you've asked at some point in your life, or maybe you are processing through right now. The question reads, how do I break free of habitual sin?" How do I break free of habitual sin? Now, if we're looking at this question and we're reading the question and maybe you're writing it down as like a sermon title for today, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to stop listening because you think you don't have a habitual sin. What do I mean by habitual sin? Usually it's that sin uh, that's some sort of addiction. I can't seem to break free of it. So if you're in this room today, and perhaps you're dealing with a little self-righteousness, I don't mean to like come at you hard, but listen, if you're out there going, that's not me, that's not me, I'm not addicted to drugs, I don't suffer from substance abuse, I'm not addicted to pornography, all this stuff, like, I'll just, I'll come back next week. Listen to me, church. We all have issues with sin. We all have issues with sin. So of course you can put a category on habitual sin as some sort of addiction. But but let me bring this to the surface. Maybe it's the category of covetousness. Well, that's not a classic uh, addiction, is it? But but maybe uh, once a week you drive through a neighborhood and your heart lusts after the home that you don't have. Or maybe the car that you don't have. Or, or maybe you're bitter. Maybe you're a bitter person. But maybe you struggle with anger. You're constantly angry. You see, those don't fit into that, that category of addiction, but they're habitual sins, church. They're those that keep creeping up in our life. So I beg of you this morning, do not check out. This is for all of God's children this morning. How do we break free of habitual sin. I think in the book of Romans, I want you to go there. We're going to start in Romans 7, but before we start reading, I want to set this up for us today. The Apostle Paul has got to be 
uh, next to, to, to Jesus, uh, my hero in the faith. Like he walked the earth, he was a man like you and I, and I love how he writes down his sanctification process. What do I mean by that? Him growing, him looking more and more like Jesus. He writes it down for us to read. So we're going to see in Scripture this morning how Paul is processing the sin in his life. And when we get done reading this part, I want to see if you and I can relate with the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 7, we're going to start reading in verse 18. Paul says, And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. How many can relate to what Paul is saying right here? Anybody? Both hands raised this morning. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Like There's a war going on within me. Paul is talking about the struggle within. In Galatians 5, he goes on and and he says again about the struggle. Picture it like tug of war. Flesh versus the Spirit. It's constantly at war within us. And, And Paul is sharing this. Aren't you thankful for it, church? How even the Apostle Paul writes down the struggles that he's dealing with. Make you feel a little better at least. That you're not the only one that struggles with sin. We all struggle with that sin. And I love how he writes down the struggle within. He's like, there's there's two powers that live within me. My, My flesh and the spirit. And it's a real battle, would you agree, church? It's a real battle. It's a real fight. Let's go on and further examine sin and and exactly how it works from James. James chapter 1, 13 through 15. James says, remember when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from your own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires, listen to me, give birth to sinful actions. And when sin, crucial, I want you to underline this, when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Pastor James is is outlining how this process works in our hearts. 
He's saying this comes from your own sinful desires. The, The flesh, right? The sinful nature gives birth to these desires. And it slowly starts to drag us away. And we fall further and further and further into this temptation. And when temptation is allowed to stay, when temptation is allowed to maintain itself in your life, it then gives birth to death because we're weak, right? We got this fight going on within us. And then we give in to the sin. And this is what he says about sin. It ultimately leads to death. We know because of Adam that sin will bring about our earthly death, but it also can kill you spiritually, church. It's bad. We don't need to outline what sin is. It's bad. It's disobedience to God. It will harm you. It will not only harm you, but it will hurt those around you. Sin is devastating. It is nothing but destruction. And James outlines this process for us so that we won't wake up one morning and go, how did I get here? Like he's, he's letting us see the process of how it works. It's that war within, and it will bring destruction. But how do we put a stop to it? How does the other force in our life win out? How does the spirit win out? I'm so thankful as we're reading the book of Romans. I encourage you. It's one of those books you just can't stop uh, reading halfway through. You can't just read one chapter. Put it. you got to read that one to its entirety. If we were to stop in Romans 7, right here where we did, all it would do is help us in our sin. We'd be like, all right, I'm a miserable person, uh, just like Paul. Like we're all just going to be miserable sinners with no way out. This is just who we are. If we were to stop reading, that's kind of the picture we would get. We've got this war going on within. We're terrible people. But he keeps writing. And I'm so thankful this morning, church, that he keeps writing. And he shares with us ultimate hope and victory. Chapter 8, 1 and 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, oh, listen to me. Because you belong to Him, the power of life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Can we as a church this morning rejoice in verse 1 and 2? He kept writing. He kept writing. And He's sharing with us this morning how God helps us in our sin. He gives us the Spirit of God. I want you to praise God for verse 1 and 2. And I'm so thankful that we have it. This goes back towards the end of last week's message where we made very clear that a changed life, listen to me, a changed life, a changed life, a changed life that is changed by the gospel is one that is changed. It's going to look different. If you've truly been saved by Jesus, your life will be different. And because we are freed from the power of sin through the Spirit's power, we can have ultimate victory. But listen, it does not mean that the war stops raging. Did you hear that? Just because we have power over sin doesn't mean the forces stop. They're going to keep coming after us. The war will maintain until Jesus comes back. 
Like there's always going to be that struggle. So how do, we, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this? What truly matters? It'll be on the screen. I want you to, I want you to write this down. It says, your desire to obey God has to be greater than your desire to sin. It's easy for me to stand up here this morning and say, do away with sin. We're going to look at the answer here in just a moment, how that happens. But ultimately, what I want you to understand out of this message is that your love for God needs to increase. When your love for God increases, your desire to sin will decrease. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, Jesus says, because I've died for you, now you live for me. And he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. A changed life is a changed life. You're going to look different. Let's keep reading in Romans chapter 8. Verse 9, we're going to read through 14. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Therefore, verse 12, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Did you hear that? You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Praise God this morning that we, that we have the power of the Holy Spirit living within. Praise Him. And I'm speaking to a Baptist church. Can we just shake it off for a little bit this morning and understand that the Holy Spirit dwells among us? Can we accept the fact that the Holy Spirit is real church? Can we accept the fact that when Jesus left the earth, He said, I give you a gift, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit. He is a part of the Godhead. Don't be freaked out by the, by the Holy Spirit. That is God. And He's living within. And He gives you the power to say no to your sinful nature. He gives you the power to say no. You're not obligated to do what your sinful nature urges you to do any longer. You have the power of God living within. So the answer today, what's the answer? It's going to be on the screen. By the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of God, you can break free from the sin in your life. Listen to me. Only by the Spirit of God can you break free. Only through the Spirit's help can you have victory. Only 
through God stepping in to your sinful nature can you have victory over the sin in your life. I do not want you to get out of this morning that if I just work harder, that if I just try harder, that if I set up all these things, surely I'll have victory. You cannot without the Holy Spirit's power acting within your soul. Can't do it. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that you can break free of the sin in your life. You are no longer bound by the spirits or the, or the sin that's in your life. You, you're no longer bound by that nature. How do we actually, how do we actually do this? I want to use an illustration today. This is a cage, a crate. And here's how sin, put it right here. Here's how sin works in our life. Here's how what is a one-time sin turns into a habitual sin. When sin creeps in, James tells us how this happens, and he says when sin is allowed to grow, when we feed it. So sin is like a wild animal in a cage that we keep at the house. And when we're there by ourselves, we, we, let, we let the wild animal out of the cage and we feed it and we water it. We play with it. We entertain it because I like it. Nobody ever says sin is not enjoyable. The reason we keep coming back to it is because our flesh says it's good. So we hang on to it. But here's what happens with the sin in our life. Somebody knocks on the door, and what do we do? We take the wild animal, sin, and we put it back in its cage where it can be maintained. It can't run free, so everybody will see. We, we put it in the cage, and maybe even we do this for the benefit of our company. We, we put maybe a blanket over it, and, and we tuck it away, and it stays there. Then when the time is right, when the time is just right, we, we, we pull the blanket off, we, we let the door out, and we keep entertaining the sin. We keep feeding it, we keep watering it, we keep it alive. And when we keep sin alive, when we water it and feed it and allow it to grow, James says it's going to kill us. But this is how habitual sin works. We keep it in our house, and it lives there. It hangs out there with you, with your family, with your friends, all the time. It's right here. What does Paul say to do to the sin in your life? He says, put it to death. I'm going to get blunt with the imagery this morning. So instead of keeping it in the cage, take it out back, dig a hole, and bury it. Sounds simple, doesn't it? How do we do that? Paul says, put to death sin in your life. I want to help us this morning. We know that there's opposing forces 
in our mind and in our heart all the time. It's a constant tug of war. How can the Spirit win out in our life? I want to help you. I want to give you three things that come straight from the Word of God. How do we put to death the sin in your life? I want you to write that question down. And the first thing that I want you to write down is that you need to be honest with God and yourself. You need to be honest with God and yourself. 1 John chapter 1, 8 and 9. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Here's what I want you to do. Starting today. Are you hearing me, church? This is what I want you to do. Stop pretending that the cage is empty. Stop pretending there's sin there and you're entertaining it. Stop pretending that it's empty. You've got something in there. Now it's empty up here on stage so that you and your mind can put something in there. Something's there. Stop lying to yourself. Confess it to God and yourself. If you're tricking yourself, you're not going to confess it to God. Make sure that you admit it to yourself. This is a struggle. This is a sin. This is disobedience. This is in my life. And then confess it to God. Tell God what it is. I don't mean to be sarcastic, but God already knows. You can't hide. Adam and Eve tried, and he found them. You can't hide. Tell God what it is, because Satan wants it hidden. He wants to trick you so that you'll keep it hidden. But tell God what's going on so the two of you can start working on it. Tell God what's going on. Stop lying to yourself. Expose the secret. Put a spotlight on the cage. If you illuminate it, you can do something with it. Don't lie to yourself and don't lie to God. He already knows. The next thing I want you to write down is you need to fully surrender. Big word there, fully. Fully surrender and fully repent. Fully surrender and fully repent. This one really involves you aggressively with the Spirit's help turning away from your sin. Confessing it, telling God what it is, is one thing. You need to do that. But just airing it out isn't enough. You need to turn from it. That word repenting, it's kind of an old-fashioned word. It's in the Bible, so let's talk about it. Repent means to turn away. If we're going to confess it to God and ourself, and then we fully surrender to the Spirit's help living within, I need to then fully repent. You, you see, I can't keep coming back to it. I'm going to fall into it. 
I can't. So I need to turn my back. That's repentance in a nutshell. Turn your back on the sin. Be done with it. God gave you a shovel. You dig the hole. Like It's it's teamwork. You've got to do something. It's so frustrating, even in my own life, when I know uh, that the trips and the hang-ups, and and I don't make the changes necessary to turn from it. If your phone is causing you to view pornography, throw your phone out the window, church. If your job, if your job, you come home, you're bitter, you're angry, you hate your boss, you hate your co, look for a different job. You've got to do something. You can't just stand there. Like, do something. Make a change. Turn your back on the sin. Fully repent. Fully surrender that it's only God in your life that will help you. And then turn your back on the sin. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. We're going to read from the NASB. It says, Therefore, repent and return to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Listen to this next part. In order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. We can talk about sin all morning. We can talk about the the damaging effects of sin in our life all morning. What we see here in Acts is that if we confess and we repent, we turn to God, not our sin, then seasons of refreshing will come our way. You do not have to raise your hand. You do not have to nod. But living in sin is not very refreshing, is it? It's a terrible place to be. And God is saying, repent. Turn back to me, not your sin, and I will give you refreshment from the Spirit. But it takes you fully surrendering to His power that lives within and fully repenting of the sin. Even if I give it a little bit of water or a little bit of food, it will still live. Turn from it. Be done with it. The third thing I want you to write down is we need to find accountability among God's people. Find accountability among God's people. I want to read Scripture first here, then we'll talk about it. James 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. We love to quote that, that part, but we never see the first part. He's talking about the confession of sins to one another. You might be uh, out there smirking a little bit. (laughs) Uh, Good luck with that one, preacher. I don't even want to tell God in my closet uh, by myself much less some of you, right? Is that what you're thinking? It's okay. We can be honest. I'm not saying stand up here and shout it across the room for all to hear, but find someone, a child of God, a believer that you trust and share that sin struggle with them. 
Remember, Satan wants it hidden in the cage. And when we tell God, we tell ourselves, and we tell other people, it puts light on it. So that someone else can help you in your sin. So that someone else can can join alongside of you and pray for you. Someone else will know your struggle and can ask you the tough question. Are you entertaining it? Are you feeding it? Are you watering it? Are you giving in? Are you flirting with it? you hanging out with it? They can ask you those questions if we really want to have ultimate victory. Church, this comes from the Word of God. But you see, I think the confession of sin amongst God's people is a lost art. We do not do it. Why would we? We come here on Sunday morning, we wear our vest, our nice clothes. We put, uh, we put smiles on our faces. We pretend that the week was great. We pretend that there's no sin within. We, we pretend that we've got our act together. We pretend that we're holy and we're righteous and everything we've done throughout the week has been perfect. We pretend, don't we? At the very same time, we all walk in here and know that we're all lying. The pastor just called you a liar. I'm sorry. John did it first. We've got sin living within, and we need to tell each other about it. We need to confess. We need to confide. We need the help of God's people. We need the help of the church to help us in our sin. Do you see what James writes? He said, you go to that trusted person, that righteous person, that one that's really walking in step with the Lord, and they start praying for you, you just may be healed of your sin. You just may have victory over your sin. But I get it. It is awkward. Are you willing to step into the awkward to have victory over the sin in your life? I am. I eat awkward for breakfast. Share your struggles with someone so you can receive some help. Easy question to ask. Difficult one to answer. Ultimately, difficult to have victory. But I want you to remember the words of Paul. You are no longer obligated to do what your sinful nature desires. You can have victory over sin in your life. You understand that, church? You can have victory. The war doesn't stop, but you can win the war. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross. Thank you that by his death, we can have victory over sin. We can have victory over death. So God, I pray for those in the room today that are struggling with sin. That's all of us. That you would help us, Lord. That you would help us recognize where we fail you that you would elevate in our heart a desire to obey you, 
over the sin and that we would take the necessary steps in our life to have victory over the sin. Don't let us fall prey to the tricks and schemes of Satan and stay where we're at. Help us to have victory this morning, Lord. Help us to understand that, yes, there's two forces within, but one is greater than the other. And that we have Holy Spirit power living within to give us victory. Help us today. Thank you for Jesus. We ask everything in this precious name. Amen.